Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. One of the things I really appreciate about what we do here is, is that we do preach through the Bible. So we, we may do a short series on a topic, but we preach through the which means preachers aren't preaching their favorite feel-good verse, which means you come to verses like this if you're going to be true to the integrity of Scripture. And so we saw, who, do, who gets to preach on that one? Well, they drew lots. That's why I don't play the lottery. <laughs> but it's important to put these verses in context. You know, sometimes news agencies will do a one-liner. They've taken something someone said without the context of the whole thing, and you can, you can draw erroneous conclusions. This, so let me set it in the t- setting. Jesus in this chapter, chapter 10, is he's... He's sending his disciples out on a mission. And he's been training them, and now it's their time to go out and give it a go. So he gives them instructions on their mission, and he gives them authority. He empowers them to cast out unclean spirits and to heal the sick. And he instructs them on where to go, and he also gives them their message that they are to bring there to proclaim, and, and he gives practical instructions as well regarding money, food, accommodations, that's all in there. But then he comes to a point, as he's preparing them for this mission, to prepare them to expect opposition. They're going to face it. And so, in verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How would you like to have that mandate given to you? Uh, maybe we ought to reconsider this mission. <laughs> well, he's basically saying you can expect opposition. Opposition. Uh, and uh, it gets very severe. Did you notice that opposition to Christianity is increasing in our culture? And, and sometimes people look at Christians as being dangerous or an enemy. It's increasing in our country. So I was reading this news story uh, about the Washington Elementary School District, which serves the students in the Phoenix and Glendale, Arizona area. And they had an ongoing contract with the Arizona Christian University to send student teachers. And there's a shortage of teachers, so it was really helpful for them to have this supply of student teachers. But it was equally beneficial to the school because they had a, a source to let their students, uh, teachers, to get some experience, which would help probably later in uh, recruitment or hiring. Well, February 23rd, a month ago, a little over a month ago, the board, school board, came together and agreed on a motion to dissolve their partnership with this university. And during the meeting, one of the board members, Tamilo Venzuela, she blasted the university over its Christian beliefs. And she said she was disheartened by this to learn that the school had had a contract for a number of years with this university. And to quote her within the context of what was happening here, this is what she said. My concerns is that when I go to the website, 
They are committed to Jesus Christ. Boo. Accomplishing his will and advancements on earth as it is in heaven. And so the board voted to terminate. I've noticed uh, since I've been around for a while, you know, I've been around for a while, I could say I knew Moses personally, but that would not be true. (laughs) That there has been an ever-increasing opposition to Jesus and to Christianity. And so, look, it's it's been that way for a long time, really. So before sending them out, Jesus makes another shocking statement. In verse 21, he says, Brother will deliver brother to death and father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. That's pretty drastic. But it happens oftentimes in shame cultures anyway, into this very day. The coming of Jesus means peace and conflict for many. And they seem to be contradictory things. But in this passage today, Jesus makes this really startling statement where he says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And it seems to be in conflict because at his birth, remember the announcement? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill among those to whom he is pleased. And then Jesus is talking about people that are going through tribulation, difficulties. He said these words in John 16, 32. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart because I've overcome the world. (laughs) It's both. The lack of peace can be so painful, especially when it's those closest to us in human relationships. It's be very painful. And so when you read the scripture, I've come to set a man against his father and daughter and against his, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of their own household. Please understand, Jesus' purpose in making this statement is not division in family or in society, but rather Jesus has come to redeem us, to create a spiritual family where his pure love is found in the midst of it. He, he didn't come for the purpose of creating this division, but his coming does seem to create it anyway. Jesus does not mean that those who follow him will turn against their family. That's not what this scripture is, is stating. It's, but opposite can be true. Sometimes when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, he has that the effect of the other family turning on them a bit. Why does the gospel have such a negative uh, impact? I think it has to do with priority of who we love. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's, It's that. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying that houses will be divided on account of him. It's gonna happen, and I've seen this. I've seen families at odds with one another over the gospel, and likely you have too. And in this room, there would be a number of you who have experienced that personally in your own life. And, but listen, Jesus experienced it as well. This is interesting to me because, you know, 
I used to have a few flaws before I arrived to the point of perfection. Oh, no, my wife's back there. I'm sorry. You need to retract that statement. But Jesus didn't have those. I mean, he was perfect in every way. But listen to this. In Mark 3, 20, Jesus said, he, then he went home and the crowd gathered so that they could not even eat. He was disrupting lunch plans, I guess. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. This is Jesus' family. He is out of his mind. It's like, we need intervention here. Jesus' family thought to seize him. They thought he had gone crazy. And in fact, John 7, 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. It's pretty shocking stuff. So when Jesus speaks about families being at odds because of him, he's not speaking hypothetically. He's speaking experientially. He knew what these words would mean. I read where a Canadian university student who was a Jew and he became a Christian and his parents not only disinherited him, they actually, actually held a funeral for him to symbolize that he's dead to them, disowning him. And, and then I read uh, about a, a psychiatrist who was as a high school student became a Christian and became a well-trained psychiatrist. In fact, he was so successful that he was offered a pretty lucrative and prestigious practice. But he decided to devote his life instead to training Christian ministers and missionaries. And as a result, his wealthy father totally disinherited him. Now, these might seem like extreme cases, you know, not the ordinary thing, but, uh, but it, it does happen. This kind of thing does happen. Maybe not as extreme, but for you, just as painful where families can be divided somehow because of your love for Jesus. I've seen, I've been a, a, a pastor for a long time, like I told you, back to the days of Moses almost. I know you'd be surprised looking at me, but it's true. <laughs> uh, but I have seen uh, throughout these years, I've watched uh, one member of the household become a believer and what happens in the family. It's not that the person who became a believer somehow rejects the family. Family begins to reject them. Or uh, some, some member of the family becomes a believer and decides they want to give their all to Jesus and maybe be, even become a Christian leader. That can cause a lot of disruption when dad and mom had other plans for you. Or whenever, a, say, a, a wife and mother comes to Jesus and she brings the little kids to church, but dad has nothing to do with it. It's not him. He can either be indifferent or actually in opposition. And then oftentimes when those kids become teenagers, they bail out too. The pain of that. But I've seen that kind of thing happen uh, repeatedly where you're, you don't want it this way it didn't come from you, but your enemies are those in your own household. And it's painful because everyone wants the approval and acceptance of their family members. We want to look to our moms and dads. And some people, you can grow old and still be looking for that approval. And it doesn't come. And it's so extraordinarily painful. And Jesus is preparing us for that. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
I read a story in the Decision magazine. It's, it's a 2019 article, February 1. Afsham Zekdiafat. He says, I want to read his story for you because I think it really applies here. He says, I was born in Houston and I grew up as a devout, uh, in a devout Muslim home. And my dad was very involved in the, the Iranian Muslim community. And growing up, I was taught the five pillars of Islam and told that if I did them to the best of my ability, that maybe I would get into heaven. I spoke Farsi and not English. So God, in his incredible plan, he provided a Christian lady who tutored me and taught me English. When I was in the second grade, she said, Afsum, I want to give you the most important book that you will ever read in life. And she handed him a New Testament and asked him to hold it until he was older. But he said, every day I would read it under the covers in my bed with a flashlight because I didn't want my parents to see what I was doing. And meanwhile, when he got to high school, a Christian student sat across the table from him uh, at lunch and told him about Jesus. And he said, I debated him every day. And then at night, I'd go home and read more stories about Jesus. One day, I got to the book of Romans, and the third chapter completely changed my life. I read about a righteousness that comes apart from anything that I do for God. The righteousness comes as a free gift and can be received by faith. And I was struck by Romans 3.22, which says that this righteousness comes to all who believe. I thought I was born a Muslim and I'd always be a Muslim, but this verse said that this righteousness was for anyone who believes. And a couple weeks later, a guy invited me to a, a Christian meeting and I heard the gospel proclaimed and I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I decided to hide my newfound faith. So I would sneak out to church and I would intercept the mail from the church that I was that I was attending and I'd keep my Bible hidden but he said one day my dad found it he'd seen my Bible he'd also seen evidences in my life and he sat me down and he said what's going on there's something different about you and I said dad I've become a Christian and Afsim said he said Afsim if you're going to be a Christian you will no longer be my son. He said, everything in my flesh wanted to say, forget it. I'll be a Muslim. I didn't want to lose that relationship with my dad. So even I surprised myself when I said, dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, I'm going to choose Jesus. And if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. He said, my dad disowned me on the spot. Now these are, I, this, this is a shame culture and uh, this very radical responses in the shame cultures. But we've all had that experience at times. There are people in this room that you've had your own family members. It's felt like that. It's felt like a death experience. It's felt like you've been disowned. It, it, it's felt like a funeral and because you were no longer really alive to them. They lost their pride in you. If following Jesus means losing the peace of your home or family or losing your home or family itself, 
Here's a question for you. Would you still follow him? Actually, it's impossible for you to answer that today because it has to happen for you to see what's really in your heart. Because we all can think, oh yeah, yeah. But it has to, I understand that. But it's a serious question. Would you follow him if it cost you everything and everyone? So, verse 37 says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And what Jesus is talking about here is the ordering of our affections, not the dismissal of affection, but the ordering of our affections. An earthly love exalted over a love for Jesus becomes an idol. Do you love anything else more than Jesus? You know what? And it could be hobbies, or it could be a career, or it could be family. Listen, be clear about this. Jesus is not demanding exclusivity. He is demanding priority. First, he refuses just to be an addition to your life. Sometimes a weak, anemic gospel is preached. Come to Jesus and he'll be your savior, which basically means I'm not going to hell and when I die, I go to heaven. That's a weak, weak, it's not really even the gospel. The gospel is a transference of life. It is a total commitment to the lordship of Jesus. It means letting go of everything. It's an exchange. I remember uh, a banker, I actually felt God spoke to me that he wanted him to become a follower of Jesus and for me to devote part of my life to this man. And the guy had a great life, actually. He was the CEO of a bank, he had a nice wife, a kid, and he, he had less problems than everybody in my church. And I couldn't find an entryway. But, you know, he liked to fish, and I'd take him fishing. And one day we were out in the boat fishing and out in the middle of the lake. It's a great place to witness to people because they can't walk home. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to me, finally it happened. He saw something. He said, John, what do you have to do to become a Christian? And I told him, it's an exchange of life. You give your life in total, without reservation to Jesus, and he will give his life to you. I said, that means your hopes, your dreams, your plans, everything submitted to him. Your resources, all. He got, whoa, that's a pretty big deal. I don't know, I have to think about that. It just so happened we had a day to go fishing the next week, and out in the middle of the lake again, where he can't walk home. And he said, I've made a decision. I said, what is it? He says, I want to become a Christian. Now, how do I do that? <laughs> it's almost like he expected me to produce a contract, sign here. <laughs> <laughs> and he became a follower of Jesus. What is interesting about that story is, later on he told me, his wife was a lot younger than him. He said, John, I haven't told you, but I was married before, and I have three grown daughters, and they have nothing to do with me. They haven't spoken to me in a long time. He says, the other night, my oldest daughter called me and said, Dad, I've become a Christian. I want to have a relationship with you. And then the other two daughters, they ended up contacting me and said, Dad, we've become Christians. We want to have a relationship with you. (laughs) Well, that's a happy ending, isn't it? The thing is, we, we don't lose. 
when we love Jesus as our priority. You don't add Jesus to your life, you give him your life. It's a total exchange. And we all, we all want to strengthen family ties and, and not yield our devotion to Jesus. But often non-Christian members in our households, or even Christians who are maybe nominal Christians, think we're too fanatical. Maybe you belong to a cult. Maybe you like Jesus' family, we need intervention. You, it happens. But they, they resent our devotion to Jesus. They feel it's too extreme. It's okay to be a nice person and go to church on Sunday, but you guys, like, are totally committed to this thing. And it seems extreme to them. But the reason family members are at odds over this is because Jesus demands their full devotion, and they can sense that in the way you live your life, what your priority is. Jesus is a threat, not only to family peace, but also family assumptions. By that I mean the assumption that there's nothing greater than earthly family. And he's a threat to that by showing us that, in fact, something is greater. In fact, even our love for family needs to be reshaped by our love of God and demonstrated. Listen to this statement. It might even be on the screen. We love one another best when we love and are completely devoted, it's, it's a miracle. <laughs> Look at it again. We love each other best when we love and are completely devoted to Jesus. I know of a woman, she said once to her husband, she said, when you love God most, you're loving me best. It's true. Now, he's not asking us to be indifferent to our families. He's not asking us not to love our families. It's quite the opposite. He's asking us to realize that father, mother, son, daughter, sister, brother cannot be the Lord of our life. That if we attempt to make them so, we will not love them as we ought to love them. In fact, this is what he says in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. I love that part. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. I like that part too. Don't you? Yeah. This is the first commandment with promise. That it may go well with you. And you may live along in the land. And then fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Mm. Uh, well. <laughs> but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then in 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith. This is strong words. And is worse than an unbeliever. So the call of Jesus is not a call to somehow abandon our families. It's actually a call to love them with a love that refuses to lift them above the love of God or the mission to which he's called. And it is this that brings the conflict that Jesus is addressing. It is a reality that is misconstrued by family members that have not come to Jesus. It's unsettling to them. And even if you don't have a severe reaction to some of the illustrations that I've talked about, you can feel the tension sometimes because of your devotion to God and the mission he's called you to be a part of. It occupies your life. They think you're out of balance here. And you can feel the tension sometimes. But 
what we lose for Christ cannot be compared to what we gain in Christ. It's difficult. These verses are difficult. But finally, there's hope here. Verse 38 and 39, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So to follow Jesus, he says, take up the cross. You see, the cross is an interesting thing because when you pick up the cross, it's a one-way street to death. That's where you're going. Those that picked up the cross in the days of the crucifixion are marching to their death. And so what Jesus is calling us to is the death of our own self-interest, really. Because it's the only way to come to life. It's a paradox. And when you take up the cross and march this death of self-interest, here's what happens. It's amazing. Here's the paradox. It's happened. Is you find life. You know, the seed that falls to the ground and dies brings life. It's really life. But if you try to cling to life, on your own terms and by your own designs, you ultimately lose it. You've heard the phrase, the tr- maybe you've done it. You thought, I need to find myself. I need some time. I need to go off and find myself. It ain't going to work, folks. You're never going to find yourself. You don't, you don't find it on your own terms and designs. Ultimately, you end up losing it. But you find life you find your life in Jesus. Do you get this? You reject the perfect love of Christ in favor of earthly loves, whatever they may be, and you're going to miss the greatest love of all. You miss it. But if you lay your life down, if you take up the cross and take hold of Christ, you're going to find that what you gained is so much greater than anything you've lost. You can't lose for Christ, really. What you lose for Christ, you find that you gain in him. And this is true family. You know, uh, you people, the church, they've been my family for years. I rejoice in seeing God work in your life. And in It's a telling fact that many have lost their earthly families as a result of placing faith in Jesus, but I find new family. I used to have moms and dads in the church, but I've outlived them all. (laughs) Well, there may be some out there, but, but I have aunts and uncles, and I have brothers and sisters. And in some ways, I see sons and daughters and I'm a rich, rich man. The church becomes a family in a higher and more truer sense. That's the way Jesus intended it. Even way back in the book of Acts, when the church first started, Acts chapter 4, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds that was sold, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And if... I had thought well in advance. There could have been loads of illustrations of having someone come up and share the story about when you had great need, when you were sick, you were visited, food was brought in, someone looked after the kids, and the whole sense of family that pervades in this church and found when you are part of a community group, you find another family 
that love and care and sacrifice and do exactly what we just read here in the book of Acts. That's family. That's wonderful. And it helps us to understand that Jesus is saying, those that do the will of God, that's my family. For instance, another intervention story in Mark 3.31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. We know Jesus didn't reject his family. At his death, he put one of his disciples in charge of looking after mom. But it's a valuable thing. It's a shocking thing to say. He he redefines family as those who do the will of God. In other words, the people of God are a family. This is marvelous, really. How many times I've leaned on and drawn from the family, those that have gathered around helped, loved us, and met needs. I've been surprised at times at the sacrifice of this family. So it's true that whatever you lose in Christ cannot be compared to what we gain in Christ, even if you lose in your family. So here's a question for you. How about you? How are your affections ordered? It's a tough one. Do you value earthly relationships more than Jesus? It's almost an impossible question to answer until you're confronted with it, isn't it? Do I love Jesus more than I love my wife? It's not, it doesn't mean not loving, it means a a different, it means a priority. Do I? How have you ordered your affections? Will you choose to follow him when others may not? Okay. The band can come up, and that's when you know the sermon's coming to an end. Never believe when a guy says one more point or in conclusion. Never means that. But when he says the band can come up, that's it. But I want to lose you here. I want want you to hear this last statement. I want to love my wife best, baby. I want to love you best. I want to love my daughters best. I want to love my mom, who miraculously is still alive and kicking at over 100. And I want to love my brothers and sisters best. I want to love you, my Jubilee Church family best. And I think all of us want to love as best as we can. But we do that only when we choose to refuse self-interest, that is, take up the cross, and make our devotion and love for Jesus our priority. Listen, we love each other best when we love God most. Now, let me ask you a question here. There are people in this room that carry wounds and hurts from rejection or 
the feeling of non-acceptance of your natural family. Or the family you married into. You feel the hurt. You want acceptance. You want them to embrace you, but you're, you're wounded by them. This morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to experience His marvelous peace and grace that brings healing to those wounds in your life. I don't want you carrying those hurts anymore. So, there are going to be people here up here to pray. And they want to pray for you if you're one of those carrying those wounds. They want to pray that the peace of God will come to you. The rest of Jesus. And heal those wounds. They're going to pray for you. That you embrace and relish the fact that God has not abandoned you. He's put you in a family. Embrace the family he's put you in. And then there's some of you, you know already that you've allowed career, hobbies, or family to somehow be your top priority. Whoa. What you need to do is say, I realize that's where I'm at. God spoke to me today, and I want to make him the priority. And receive prayer for that. Prayer. Someone standing with you, praying, yes, Jesus. We want to claim you, totally devoted to you make you the priority in our life. So when the invitation is given, Jesus wants to touch you. God is in the house. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us, your understanding. It wasn't theoretical with you. It was real with you. You know what we go through. You've experienced that in your own natural family. I pray, Lord, your grace, your peace will come and flood the hearts of those who've been wounded and hurt, that your Holy Spirit will come and bring conviction with redemption for those who've not made you the priority in their life today. Today is a transforming day. In Jesus' name, amen.